Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Repod It podcast presented by Rerouted. Rerouted is an online marketplace where people can buy and sell used outdoor gear. If you have gear to sell, please check out our app, the Rerouted app on the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store. If you're shopping for gear, check us out online, rerouted.co. That's R-E-R-O-U-T-E-D dot C-O. Now, on to the Repod It podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Repod It podcast presented by Rerouted. I'm your host, as always, Brian Schoening, and I'm here with today co-host Christine Reed. Christine was on with us last week. We had an awesome conversation about her book, Alone in Wonderland, to kick off our kind of series on some featured authors here. Christine, how are you doing? How does it feel to be sitting on the opposite side of the microphone? Amazing. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little nervous, but I super appreciate the opportunity to come on and co-host and talk to some of the authors that I've had the pleasure of swapping books and trading stories with and getting to meet them pseudo in person on Zoom. (laughs) Well, we got the opportunity in preparing for this podcast or myself in preparing for this podcast. You may have read it before to read Joanna Garten's book, Edge of the Map. The Mountain Life of Christine Boscoff. We have Joanna with us today. Joanna, how are you doing? Uh, we are extremely thrilled to chat with you about um, you know, Christine's life without spoiling the book too much um, and about kind of your experience writing it. So how are you doing today? I'm great. I'm so excited to be here. I haven't actually talked to anyone about the book for a couple of weeks, so I'm feeling refreshed and excited to dive in. Awesome. Well, this is always this is always tough because we want to drive people to to buy the book. We don't want to do a, you know, audio audio recap of the book. But I think that there's some really interesting things about Christine Boscoff and her impact on the climbing community. Mm-hmm. In in doing your research for this book and writing it, how do you think how do you think Christine Boscoff should be viewed in, in the mountaineering community? And, and do you think that she's really getting the credit that, that she, that she deserves? It seems her, the list of accomplishments, if you, you know, Google Christine Boscoff, the list of her mountaineering accomplishments are insane. And, and I, and I just, it, it's, it's very, very interesting to, to kind of see, read this story and, and kind of, put yourself in this time period where, where she's not getting that credit. Mm -hmm. Yes. And you touch on one of the reasons I wanted to write the book, which was because I felt after sort of learning about her life, I can't believe nobody knows about this woman. She's just this incredible mountaineer who was doing her thing in a time sort of before social media. And she was also very humble. So those two things alone kind of created this universe in which now we're learning about her. And I feel her accomplishments really need to be studied and, um, you know, passed on from generation to generation for all sorts of climbers, both girls and boys, men and women, uh, because she was um, just an unbelievable um, trailblazer in her time and even now. Nice. I did want to ask if you could talk a little bit about why it's important to tell women's stories in particular in the outdoors, especially mountaineering, which is such a male dominated field, even within the bubble of the outdoors community. 
Yes. Yes. I mean, as you know, as you both know, women are really underrepresented, both in terms of numbers and then their stories just haven't been told, I think, as much as they they could have. Their stories usually have just really incredible components to them. And, you know, I think as women, this isn't necessarily true across the board, but as a woman myself who's who lives a life in the outdoors and Christine, you know this as well, we tend to just be very humble and live very under the radar and not you know, talk about our accomplishments very much. That's just kind of how a lot of women live. And oftentimes we're very overshadowed by men who are much bolder oftentimes and talk a lot about what they do and, and like to promote themselves. They're just generally better at that. And I think that was definitely true in Christine's case. So I think learning about Christine and the way that she lived her life with humility um, and becoming a leader in a way that was quiet, but equally as important as those people who choose to live a life in the spotlight and kind of loud and bold. I think teaching, especially young women and girls about that sort of leadership is really critical um, to having our voices continue to be heard. You've mentioned humility a couple of times, and one of my favorite recurring lines that happened in the book, and and the second time it popped up, I actually read it to my roommate, and I was like, hey, get a load of this. This is really funny. (laughs) When she said that she was a bad athlete at sea level, she would say, I suck at sea level. And it's like, here's this unbelievable athlete and climber and anybody who has been on a mountain understands kind of the the particular type of stress that that takes and anybody who's researched mountaineering knows that it's a it's a very unique tax on on your body um Mm -hmm. but for her for her to just be so humble that you know grew up with brothers obviously is is an unbelievable athlete um but to have that humility to say well you know i may have accomplished what i did on the mountain but i'm not that great Mm -hmm. yes yes i love that and that's something i definitely wanted to tap into in the story because um as you may remember from reading the book i had access to her journals And I don't think it's a spoiler to tell your listeners that she died on um, Genyan, which is in Western Sichuan province in an avalanche in 2006. So she's no longer with us. Uh, And I had access to her journals. And, you know, by reading someone's journals, you really kind of dive deep into their psyche and who they are. And I was really able to see all of those sort of moments of insecurity that she had and that humility and the self-doubt that I think a lot of us carry. Um, oftentimes women carry that. I know I do for sure. And so that's something about her that I wanted to convey in the book, because I think a lot of times mountaineering narratives in particular, in particular, those written by men carry a lot of swagger and bravado and confidence. And I'm sure that there's self-doubt there as well, but that doesn't often get conveyed in those sorts of narratives. And that was something that I wanted to definitely, um, convey about who she was. And yet, show readers that she did also have this unbelievable success in her career. Can you talk a little bit about the challenges of like telling somebody else's story and being true to who they were and like honoring their memory and all of those things that I think it's so much more complicated. You know, I wrote my story and so I could choose what went in there and say, you know, anything I wanted to, but yeah. Yeah, I feel like writing someone else's could pose a whole set of other challenges. Yes, it was super challenging. And Christine, I think you probably know I had written a memoir. That was my first book. And so I like 
you know, what kind of research do you do? You don't really do research on yourself. You just kind of write and it's great and it flows really easily and you're writing in your own voice. And this was a totally different project. And I think I didn't understand, luckily, going into the project, what kind of responsibility that was going to be for me until I started talking to all of the people who knew her and who knew her husband, Keith, and who knew Scott Fisher, who was this uh, mountain guide who died on Everest in 1996. And he's a very integral part of her story as well. And so all of a sudden I became aware that I had this responsibility to kind of showcase who she was and that her legacy would really be colored by this book. And so that was, I'm not gonna lie, that was really stressful. Uh, and, you know, I think for some writers, they would go into a project and sort of see a person and want to portray them in a certain way. But I think I just tried to remain really open to whatever information and whatever stories were going to come to me and kind of pick the stories that I felt would, you know, translate into a compelling narrative and also be true to who she was. And so for me, that just really involved talking to as many people as I could and hearing all sorts of stories and kind of getting deep into who she was and then trying to kind of pull it all together and um, create a book that was, again, compelling and easy to read um, and captured her. I, I guess my goal at the end of the project and when the book was published was to have people who knew her and who knew the other characters in the book, particularly those who had passed, feel like I captured their loved ones in a way that was positive and, um, and real. You know, it's not a book that shows every good, juicy, fun detail about her. There are a lot of mistakes that she made in her life and she had flaws, um, but I wanted people who loved her to feel like I had captured the essence of who she was, the good and the bad. You mentioned... You mentioned Scott Fisher and Mountain Madness uh, is is his guiding service that Christine and Keith uh, eventually took over. Um, talk about the role that that played. You mentioned I was I was going to bring bring this up before when you were talking about this kind of lack of willingness to publicize for oneself. And one of the things that you convey really really clearly is that Christine wasn't super interested in like using her accomplishments as publicity and mm -hmm. it it was it was really interesting as as that whole part of it unfolded that it seemed like they took over that thing that that guiding service because that they felt like it was the right thing to do maybe not necessarily because she wanted to run a guiding service for for the rest of her life it seemed like her experience in the outdoors was sometimes a lot more personal Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. It was definitely a means to an end to be able to go in and buy Mountain Madness from the estate of Scott Fisher was going to allow Keith and Chris to continue this lifestyle that they loved. And actually, I think that's quite common in this world. I think a lot of people who own guiding companies kind of get into it because they fall in love with the sport and they find that this is the way that they can continue participating in the sport and earn a living um, and bring other people into the sport. So for both Scott and Chris, that was true. And it's also actually very true for Mark um, Gullinson, who owns Mountain Madness and runs Mountain Madness now, that he is in this just because he loves the mountains, um, as opposed to in it for the money. That's for sure. Uh, I think Scott was better at publicizing himself and his accomplishments. And he was kind of this tall, blonde kind of hunk. Uh, and so he's known now through the lens of the book Into Thin Air and the movie Everest uh, as kind of this 
guy who was out there and had a lot of bravado and sort of a little bit of a player. And those things were all true. And he was very good at kind of putting himself forward in that light. Um, but he also had just a heart of gold and a wonderful family and he was a great father. So he had this other very personal side to him as well that I wanted to kind of bring across. Um, but yes, that's true. They both got into it because they love mountaineering. Um, and in Scott's case, he was good at the promotion part. And in Chris's case, she wasn't necessarily, that wasn't her favorite part. That's true. So Joanna, what was your initial inspiration to become a writer and an author. You mentioned that your the first book that you wrote was your own memoir, but what kind of led you to become a writer in the first place? That's a great question. I uh, went to school for broadcast journalism many, many years ago. I went to Syracuse and this was in the late 80s, early 90s, and I focused on sports journalism. And in the late 80s, early, early 90s, there weren't that many women in the field of sports journalism in particular. And so after graduation, I tried to get a job and it was very difficult. And as a woman in that field, I was struggling with a lot of different things, which you can imagine. And so I kind of drifted away from writing and away from journalism for probably 25 years. And then my husband and I adopted two children from China and we moved back to China with them when they were young children. And I began writing again and began blogging and by the end of our year in China, I realized what I had was the makings of a book. And so that was my first book and kind of allowed me to dip my toe back into writing. And I loved it so much that I got hooked up with um, Christine's story, which I can tell you a little bit more about. And that was my second book and brought me really full circle back to sports journalism. And I'm very happy to be staying in the fields. That's amazing. I was at one time an aspiring sports journalist and maybe this podcast format talking about uh, the outdoors is a form of that. But I worked for the Seattle Mariners and the Seattle Seahawks at their flagship radio station for for a few years after college before uh, transitioning to rerouted. So it's it's really cool to hear how kind of traditional sports journalism is is leading people into the field of outdoor journalism and and sharing uh, and sharing stories about the outdoors. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. I had no idea about your background and you're definitely <laughs> still qualified. You're definitely still in the field. Right? Am I still, am I still doing it? Yeah. Is this, is this defined as doing it? Okay. That's, sure. that's awesome. That's uh, the imposter syndrome is, is fleeting. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, so tell, tell us a little bit about your inspiration specifically to write Christine's story. Um, you mentioned that there's there's some kind of specifics there about about why this was the right story. Yes, yes, there is. So at the time she and her climbing partner went missing. So she went missing in 2006 with her climbing partner, Charlie Fowler, who was an iconic rock climber out here in Colorado. And at the time they went missing on this expedition in Western Sichuan province, uh, it was 2006. I was living in Denver. I was not a mountaineer nor a climber, and I had never heard of Christine at all. And um, I heard about her disappearance from my mother. My mother had read a little article in our hometown newspaper. She, my mom and I are from Appleton, Wisconsin, small town in Wisconsin. And there was a little article about Chris's disappearance. And my mom called me and said, have you heard about this woman? Christine Boscoff. She's climbed more 8,000 meter peaks than any other American woman. She lives out in Telluride. She's gone missing. And there's this huge search and rescue to find the two of them. And I was just intrigued with the story. And I had never heard of Christine. 
And my mom was very kind of animated telling the story and said she was going to follow the search and rescue and et cetera, et cetera. And I stopped her at one point and said, well, why are you so interested in this woman's story, mom? And she said, because you went to high school together. So Christine had grown up in Appleton and she was three years older than me. And she and I didn't run in the same circles. We had never met. And she had gone off and had this outrageous career in mountaineering and owning mountain madness. Uh, and I had gone off and had my own life. And it was only through this uh, disappearance that I had learned about her story. So by the time her body was recovered, about eight months later, eight or nine months later, my mom was convinced, having read a lot about Christine in this time, that this was the makings of a book. And my mom uh, is also a journalist. And so she began work on this book about 15 years ago or 12 years ago, something like that, and worked on the book for many, many years, kind of in her off hours, off time before she retired. And at one point during that time, she was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And so about five years ago, she realized she was unable to continue work on Christine's story. And that was about the time that I had published my first book and I was looking for a second project. And so the two of us talked and it made sense for me to take over the project from my mother and finish the book and publish it. So that's what I did. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I didn't, I didn't know that is a lot of that story is in the author's in the author's note at, at the end, at the end there, the, about the author section. And it was funny when one of my questions, Christine and I were doing a little production meeting before I got through, uh, you know, fully through the end of the book there. And, and one of my questions was about that. And I was like, I, I appreciate you, Christine, for not, not calling, not calling me out for, you know, asking a question that's answered, that's answered in the book. But I, I think that that's that that's an important note that you were kind of reconnected by the disappearance and also that you were continuing a project that your mother had been working on and and was unable to finish. I think there's a really a really cool con, uh, continuity there. Yes, I do, too, because I think ultimately the book is about these generations of women. I became very close with Christine's mom, who's now 96 years old. And so she lived in one generation and saw her daughter, who was a little bit older than me, kind of going through a transformation as she grew up in the 70s and 80s. And my mom had a very different picture as well. She's about 20 years younger than Chris's mom. So it's kind of these interesting um, different generations and how we all grow up as women and the things we pursue. So I like that part of the book as well, that connection that I have. Christine, I have one more question for Joanna. Do you have any questions that you that you would like to ask her for for our audience here or anything you'd like to share? Um, yeah, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your experience as an outdoors woman and how you relate to Christine, like just as a hiker, a mountaineer, whatever it is that you enjoy doing outside. Yes, I'm happy to. So one of the really interesting things that I fell across when I was doing research is that Chris and I both visited Nepal for the very first time in 1994. And when I was there in 1994, I did the Annapurna circuit, which is a 21 day circuit in the Annapurna range. And I loved it, but I remember getting to the top, the highest pass is at about 18,000 feet. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, women from Appleton, Wisconsin should not be this high because I did not feel well. It was not my thing. 
Uh, and I just thought I'm going to stick to running because I'm a long distance runner. So I'm an endurance athlete. And so I understand the concept of endurance um, athletics, so to speak, but the mountaineering, the, especially the technical part sort of has always escaped me, but I was able to really connect with her um, from that athletic point of view. Uh, and now, you know, I continue being inspired by her and I live in Colorado. So I get out and hike smaller peaks. I will say I'm happy to hike on the weekends, as I say, with my peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Um, and then every now and then I'll seek a, a greater adventure. So for example, this May, I am going to be doing the trek to Everest Base camp, which is really exciting. And I don't think I would have done that had I not written the book and been inspired by her. And I think it's also 18,000 feet. So I'll get up there and I'll, uh, I'll do it a little bit better, I think, than I did when I was 24 years old uh, and kind of just seeking those adventures, which seem within reach, whether they're local or um, far, far away. I think that is something that I've taken from her and hope I as well. Well, at this point, you've had a little bit of base level altitude training, just living in Colorado, as opposed to uh, Appleton, Wisconsin, you're just naturally at a higher altitude normally. So your body might be able, might be able to handle it a little better. What's really cool about that is, is that as you're recounting Chris's story and, and any other, you know, mountaineers that you choose to potentially write about in the, in the future, that experience of being at 8,000 feet or 18,000 feet, sorry. Um, I feel like that's a, a really cool kind of respect that you can have for what you're writing about and, mm -hmm. and truly how much, how much it takes out of you, uh, you know, just, just to get there and, and being there. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think so. I think having done that, and also it was very important for me to be in the spaces where she climbed. So one of the things I did before I finished the book was go back to the mountain where she died to be in that mountain valley and be able to see and smell and touch all the different things that she experienced, to be able to translate that into a narrative that was compelling that readers would want to understand. And I think readers do appreciate when authors do their research and are personally connected in some way to the story. So those things help. Yeah. When you described the valley in the book, I like went and Googled because I was like, I need to see pictures of this place. It sounds beautiful. And the pictures are amazing. Like it's definitely on my list now. Great. Great. It should be on your bucket list. <laughs> well, Christine, you actually hit on my last question, which was going to be about uh, Joanna's history and, and experience in the outdoors um, and, and how that related to it. So, so that's all that's all I have. That's all we have. We're at a, we're at a good, at a good point here. Um, Joanna, give your sales pitch. If somebody was like, why should I, why should I read your book? Anything that we haven't, that we haven't covered? Well, one of the things that I have loved about releasing my book when I have, I know Christine can relate to this as well. It's been tricky. I will say having released, uh, going through the process of a release in the past couple of years because of the pandemic, I had a book tour that was canceled all over the country, et cetera, et cetera. So that was kind of heartbreaking, but I have been able to connect with readers this way through podcasts. And I do a lot of online book clubs. So book clubs get a hold of the book and it's an amazing book for book clubs to read. It's a very fast read. And I'm happy to connect with readers through Zooms after they finish their books. And so that can be done with readers and clubs anywhere in the country or really anywhere in the world. So. Awesome. Can you tell us what you're working on next? 
Yeah, I can. I'm just starting on my next book and I'm working on finding an agent and a publisher. It is also a sports narrative. It is about a program that's little known, um, but should be known much more because it's just very, very interesting. It's called the World Class Athlete Program. And it's a program out of the US Army that trains uh, soldiers to become Olympic athletes. And it's not a program I knew anything about. Uh, and I'm researching that. And I've got a couple of athletes identified that I'm hoping to write about in the book as kind of a braided narrative. So working on a book that involves people who are still alive, which is new for me and will be exciting. That sounds great. Well, Joanna, thank you so much. Where can people find your book? We're going to have uh, you know, a link to it on our website, our landing page for our featured authors. And these podcasts will be up on the rerouted site uh, tomorrow. We're recording this February 8th. So all of that will be up on February 9th when we're going to do a nice, a nice big social media push to get, to get everything out then. So if you're, if you're listening to it and you want to go back to those posts, um, you can do so they'll, they'll be posted February 9th. Uh, but where can people find your book and follow you on, on any social media and whatnot? Great question. I always encourage people to buy my book at local independent bookstores who need our love and TLC more than ever. Uh, my website, which is joannagarton.com, J-O-H-A-N-N-A-G-A-R-T-O-N.com. And then obviously library and all of the big box, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, whatnot online. You can find it there as well. Awesome. Christine, you did a wonderful job co-hosting. Oh boy, thanks. <laughs> this has been really fun. Awesome. Well, everybody, we will be back next week with another featured author. But for now, check out our author uh, featured author landing page to see Christine's podcast and to see this podcast and to order and to order their books. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you have gear to list, used gear to list, collecting dust in your garage, check out the rerouted app on the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. Uh, if you're shopping for gear, check out rerouted.co. There might be some might be some fun stuff there uh, at a pretty good price. Thanks everyone for listening and I hope you have an awesome day.